Well, the verse on our bulletin cover this morning and the first verse that we heard read is one of 22 lines of poetry describing the ideal woman. Literally, it says, strength and honor are her clothing, and she laughs at the day coming. And that's the better translation. Earlier this year, we heard the story of how Abraham and Sarah seemed like forever before they conceived a child. And then it was such a joyful thing to them, and they had laughed because they didn't believe God. They named him Yitzhak, which means he will laugh. And this word in the proverb is the same root word. She laughs at whatever day is ahead of her. Now, no one, no one man or woman can live up to all of the qualities given in this poem. But all God's people should be able to do some of these things. Open their hands to the poor and open their mouth with wisdom and teaching of kindness. And then the last two lines summarize what every woman, what every person should be before God, how we should live our lives before God to fear, which means to have faith in the covenant God, Yahweh, and then also to let her works, her works of obedience be her praise. In other words, quite simply, all people should believe all of the promises of God so that they may obey all of his commands. It's summed up in that great song, Trust and Obey. That's what God is looking for from all of us. Now, last week, it was a prelude to Mother's Day, and I didn't even know it. We saw how Ruth responded to what she had learned about God from Naomi after she had been her daughter-in-law for many years, for some time. Then after suffering the loss of her husband, Ruth pledged to stay with the widowed Naomi saying, your God will be my God. It seems that through the bitter hardship, Naomi's weak faith had been strengthened. And she desired now to return to her home to worship God with her own people. And it would seem very logical that she had told Ruth about her God, the Savior of Israel. Now, today we have heard about a woman who had worshipped God night and day in his temple for most of her life, most of her long life. So after they had dedicated Jesus, she approached Mary and Joseph with her heart full of thanksgiving. And then she spoke about Jesus to all who were there and the redemption he would bring. His name, 
Jesus, Yeshua, means Savior, the Savior sent from God. So both Naomi and Hannah teach us that women who worship God will speak about the Savior. They will tell of God's salvation. And then we'll close considering four practical ways that godly women in the early church, okay, it's talking about the women of the church where Timothy was a pastor, how they showed their faith through beautiful good works that please God. So now we've already touched on the proverb. Let's go to our gospel passage in Luke. And we started in the middle. This is the conclusion of what the Spirit revealed to Simeon about Jesus at his consecration. So let me get the context. If your Bibles are open, go back up to verse 22. When Mary's 40 days of uncleanness after the birth of a son, and this was for every Jewish woman, were complete, she went to the temple to be purified according to the Torah. Now, a man named Simeon, which means hearing, he was a hearing man, he was there, he was righteous, he was devout, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, another name for the Messiah. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he had seen Messiah. So he came by the Spirit to the temple. He took Jesus in his arms and said, Master, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. My eyes have seen your salvation prepared for all people, a light of revelation to the nations and the glory of your people, Israel, alluding to the prophecy of Isaiah. And now we are ready to pick up where Luke is continuing his narrative. And the first thing is, we're told as they were listening, Joseph and Mary marveled. Okay. The father of him and the mother were marveling. This is an ongoing, increasing, filled with wonder at these prophetic words that were being spoken. The words of Simeon. At the words being said about him, again, that reference back to Isaiah, this 700-plus-year-old prophecy. The salvation is the light of all nations and the glory of Israel. So here's our first application, considering both Joseph and Mary and what the word of God did to them. May we always marvel at God's amazing word about the good news especially of his son, the savior, the gospel. May we never get tired of it. May it always amaze us and marvel us. And then Simeon blesses Mary 
and gives a difficult word concerning Jesus to both Israel and Mary. Simeon blessed them. The word is literally eulogos, or a good word. And as the devout Jews of the day meant it, it was a good word that was an intercession or a request to God. Like, may the Lord bless you, or any other number of things. That's what he said. And then he said to Mary, his mother. So until now, Simeon's words, and I had summarized them, had been about what the child would be for all people on the earth. But now, even though we can all benefit from these words, he addresses the special concern that mothers have about their children. And I can speak from experience, especially a mother towards her son. Behold, he said, this one is destined concerning the fall and rise of many in Israel. So after he gets her attention, I think this is true in both Testaments, the word behold. It means like, wake up. You may think I'm droning on, but now, behold, pay attention. He tells Mary her son is chosen to do his father's will. And in the doing of his father's will, many will fall and many will rise in the nation of Israel. What's the difference? It depends on how each person responds to Jesus Christ, the Savior that she has just given birth to. And it shall be a sign spoken against. Now, let's not skip over this. This is extremely important. If you read the Gospels, you're more than aware of this. They tell of opposition to Jesus and the signs and wonders that he was doing. Many priests no longer consider themselves to be servants of the people, to be intermediaries between the people and God. That's what a priest is called to do. But many of them had gotten very full of themselves, very proud. They almost considered themselves to be God. They were puffed up, and they were in no way going to turn over their power and authority, even to the high priest Jesus, maybe especially to him. And I've just given a a few of the many, many times the author of the book of Hebrews calls Jesus the high priest. No one should have opposed him, but we're all sinners. So here's another application. May we be motivated by this very dangerous truth of people opposing Jesus to be aware and to be careful and prayerfully ask that we not do that because sometimes we do it and we're not even aware of what we are doing. But also, he says, your own soul, a sword shall pierce. And this was a big, strong, dangerous weapon. Now, another thing, keep in mind, and it's mostly in John's gospel, although the other's reporter being there, Mary would witness 
everything that happened to her son on the cross. Everything. Now, the death of a child is one of the greatest tragedies that any mother can experience. I have been around mothers that have lost children. That's not the way it's supposed to be. But Mary would have to experience that in the most gruesome of ways. She was there at the cross to the end. But Jesus, and here's the wonderful compassion of Jesus, even when he was suffering for all of our sins, as he was dying, he made sure that John would take care of his mother, of Jesus' mother. That may be revealed thoughts from many hearts. You see, we've already talked about it, prayed about it, thought about it. The Holy Spirit can open up our hearts and reveal what's in there. Now, all of us, I raise my hand, I know I'm guilty of this. We have difficulty being really honest about what our thoughts are and where they may go to. Oh, we want to think rightly, but we often, too often, deceive ourselves. And here's another truth, and it's not easy to accept, but only God can force us to face who we really are. But here's the gospel, people. Please hear this. This is what it all boils down to. There's many ways to say it, but we can face ourselves when we have the assurance of forgiveness in Jesus. That's what it's all about. That's how you can know whether somebody really knows God and is in his family and is in his kingdom. When we can accept God's forgiveness and have an assurance no matter what we've done, if we have repented, if we have turned to God in faith, we can be forgiven. So when the Holy Spirit reveals our thoughts, and sometimes I've had some really ugly thoughts revealed to me, wanted to crawl under uh, you know, a big heavy blanket and hide, the only thing to do is to go to God in Jesus and receive his forgiveness. Secondly, the prophetess Hannah, who lived in the temple many years, came up giving thanks to God and speaking of the child to those looking forward to redemption. So basically, we find out Hannah never left the temple after the death of her husband, praying and serving God night and day. So we're told, and and, and Luke does this often in his narration, there was Hannah being ongoing, continuously, all the time, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel and of Asher's tribe. Now, Hannah means grace. Phanuel means faith face of God. So grace was born of a man named for being in God's presence, the face of God. And I just realized that's how she lived her life. And Asher means happy, someone who is happy in God's blessing. And she was advanced in many, many days, having lived with her husband seven years from her marriage 
And she was a widow. And here's where the language gets tricky. This is a preposition with a variety of meanings, but it would seem the best translation was as many as 84 years. So what was her age? We got two choices. If that preposition happens to mean until, well, she was 84 years old, but why give us all that extra information? I think typical for young women of that day, she was about 105 years old. Many women back then got married as early as age 14. Plus seven is 21, plus 84. She was a centenarian, okay? And she was never leaving the temple in fasts and prayers, worshiping night and day. So as I've already said, she was a constant presence in God's house, knowing and being known by all who were visiting the temple. Now, it says she was fasting and praying, and I have to confess, this is not a strength of mine. I like food. I'll pray once in a while. But fasting and praying, we must realize this. This is an excellent way to joyfully draw near to God. Sometimes we think, oh my, I'm denying myself. I'm fasting. There's so many things I could be doing. Oh, I got better things to do than prayer. No, Hannah had learned this secret. Self-denial in prayer is the way to enjoy God's presence. And then we're told that after her husband died, she worshiped God 24-7, night and day. Here's another application for us people, and let's try to take this at heart. May we be inspired by both Mary's and Hannah's examples to continue to worship God even in and after the loss of a loved one. Remember, Mary had pondered up everything that had been revealed to her about Jesus. And as broken as she was at the cross, she never gave up hope and never gave up worshiping him. And then we've got now this example of Hannah, a young widow who didn't dwell on the pain, but worshiped God for 84 years. Now, we're told that having come up at that hour, the very hour Jesus was consecrated, she's thanking God and speaking about him and the redemption. So again, as I said, in that very hour, having come up, she was giving thanks to God. I've got to take a minute here to talk about thanksgiving because I try to be grateful I like to think I'm grateful, but I know I should be a lot more thankful. Now, I've given you a handful of scripture references about three reasons for thanksgiving. The first one, and this is obvious, you know, God forgive us if we ever forget it. But if we have been petitioning God and he grants that petition, how can we not say thankful? But there's another beautiful one, which is often in the songs of lament, when a psalmist's life is falling apart, and he petitions God, and he's waiting. But he says, even though I haven't gotten the answer yet, 
I thank you. I thank you because you're God and I can trust you. And then another one, you'll find it in the Psalms, is all of a sudden, one of God's people, a poet, understands something more about the wonderful character of God, and that produces praise and thanksgiving. And also remember this. I remember many years ago preaching Acts, the outline for prayer, adoration, thanksgiving, confession, and supplication. Prayer should always begin with prayer and thanksgiving, not I want this from you, God. Thanksgiving is the basis of all true prayer. And she was speaking about the child to all those looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, Simeon had only spoken to Mary. Hannah was speaking to all those who had hearts desiring to see God's promises fulfilled. And then I've chosen to talk about redemption from what some people call the Old Testament because all scripture is inspired by God and it's all of equal standing. God provides redemption for his people. He has promised to redeem his city of Jerusalem and also to redeem those who had been exiled to Babylon and he will even redeem idolatrous northern tribes if they will repent. So because Hannah was always worshiping God, she was ready to speak about his savior son when she was prompted by the Holy Spirit to have our hearts full of God's word and to be meditating on it makes a difference. And we want to, especially on Mother's Day, focus that women who worship God will end up speaking about Jesus. Now, that's true of all of us. So now I want to tack on a coda, a little musical term here, about godly women in the early church from our verse from 1 Timothy. It starts, in good works she is being testified about. I remember there's a proverb, let another praise you and not yourself. She could care less, but others are speaking. And now this is very interesting. There's two words for good. In the original language, they occur about equal frequency. This is one of my favorite words, callous. And it means basically beautiful. It can mean good, but remember, everything that is good is beautiful. Now, there's another meaning, and we'll come to it at the end of this verse. And now we have four things. One, having brought up children. Child-rearing, that is motherhood, is part of the ideal poetic woman in Proverbs 31. And that means she had instructed her children in God's wisdom. And I think of Timothy's mother, Eunice in the English pronunciation, Eunike in Greek, which means a good victory. And God won a victory through her because she instructed Timothy in sincere faith of Jesus Christ. Secondly, this is important. She has lodged strangers. According to the Torah, all God's people must treat strangers and aliens as equals. And you know, it's funny how things never change. 
We're still arguing about that in our own culture. But God said, treat these people as equals. Don't you remember you were strangers 400 years in Egypt? How can you abuse strangers after you had been abused so much? After you had been abused. And then Jesus taught both sides of the angle in Matthew 25. Those who oppress strangers, who neglect strangers, they're neglecting Jesus. And those who welcome and love and support strangers are welcoming, loving, and supporting Jesus. So godly women as this woman, they are mothers to their own children, but also they are mothers to strangers, giving them hospitality and treating them as their own children. Thirdly, she's washed the feet of saints. A godly woman cares for all of God's children, especially as a mother. And I think of Rufus, who had welcomed, Rufus's mom, who would welcome Paul as if Paul was her own son, a brother of Rufus. You see, they are her brothers and sisters in Christ. And fourthly, and this is very important, she relieved those being afflicted. Let's take the words of Jesus and Moses. Jesus said his disciples are always being afflicted in this world. And God commanded his people to relieve those who had become poor or infirm back in Leviticus. So when women do what God commands, what the word of God commands, in the doing, they may also speak about what they know of Jesus. I think sometimes once our actions get right, our mouth comes into line. Women who worship God will speak about Jesus, and it concludes with the other word for good, Every good work has closely followed her. Here, good means what we usually think of, upright or excellent. And here's a beautiful word picture. Her good works, her beautiful works are following after her. They're coming behind her footsteps as she walks with the Lord. What an excellent legacy for any woman of God, including mothers. So let me kind of switch gears. I've talked about a lot of details, but something I really took out of this and I put in the prayer this morning is our Bible passages teach us that faith in God's Savior Son will enable us to deal with great personal pain, and loss. We don't have to become bitter. Okay? Whatever's going on in our lives, and by continually worshiping God, we can be filled with thanksgiving, and we can do beautiful works of faith for God. Think about that. If we worship God, we can do beautiful works of faith, giving glory to God. So to wrap it all up, godly women worship God even in times of pain and loss, and they tell others of Jesus, both in words and beautiful works of faith. 
Women who worship God will speak about Jesus.